Hope you have your Bibles this morning. We're going to need them. You're going to be in Romans 12. That might come as a surprise to some of you who uh, are visiting for the first time. But uh, those of you who have been here, we're in the midst of a series called Committed to Worship. And we're looking at what I'd like to just quickly remind you is how Paul defines worship. You know, one of my main hopes from this sermon series is to bust us out of the narrow way that we just tend to define worship. We usually define worship as music, singing, the first half of what you experience when you come here to Cornerstone. Worship is fundamentally much, much more beautiful than that. It's about worship and serving. We serve God in worship. We worship God in serving. And so we've been looking at what worship is, according to Paul from Romans chapter 12. And we've been, uh, I think, eye-openingly exhausting at least the first nine verses. Now, I, I know there's a lot more in there. I don't mean that literally. But I mean it's been very tiring for me to prepare these because these are mirrors. The Word of God functions as a mirror and it looks back at me as I'm studying it all week and I hear from a lot of you, wow, I don't know if I can endure this series much longer because there's so many things I'm just not doing. Well, that's what it means to look in the Word of God, but it reflects what we need to change. But also, listen, it reflects God's grace. That's what the Word of God does. It's a mirror that reflects sin in our lives and grace and love in God's. I want to thank Pastor Tim for last week handling the sermon well. He even preached basically on a word that consisted of two letters. Outdoing my own sermon I gave months ago on a three-letter word called our. Might be a little competition going. So for that reason, if you have your Bibles open in Romans chapter 12, we're going to look this morning. At the end of verse 9, you see a period. You don't know how tempting it was to try to find something redemptive about that period. But I won't do that to you. Last two weeks ago, we began looking at a progression that we're seeing in Romans chapter 12. It moves all throughout the rest of this chapter. And I charted it for you. And I want you to look up behind me. You're going to see this. It's the inner circle of that chart that consists of what we looked at three, two weeks ago. Three characteristics of a fully committed believer. Now look on as we expand that circle to give you an overview of where we're going. Remember those three characteristics. Genuine love, wax-free love, if you remember that. Abhorring or hating evil to the point that you come away from it. And third, fastening, cementing, bonding ourselves with what is good. And then the circle expands, and this is what we're going to look at this morning, the first two of them at least, ten obligations, 10 obligations that fully committed believers have in their own family, church family. And then the circle is going to go wider. And we're going to see that Paul gives us seven obligations that every fully committed believer has and how we live and behave and love those in the world. And then he's going to end with six, obligate, five obligations that we all have as committed believers to how we love and live with those who we might call enemies. 
Here's what he writes in chapter 12, verse 10. This is Romans 12, verse 10. I hope you have your Bibles with you. I hope you're looking at it. Here's what he says. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever meditated on this verse? Really pondered and reflected on what Paul is saying here. You know, my grandparents, they were unique people. That's usually not a very kind thing to say. But in this case, I'm sure it's true. I just didn't know them. By the time I became old enough to really know my grandfather, he got old enough to keep forgetting me. If you ask me literally to tell you a lot of things about Grandpa Ackley, I can only relate to you a couple of things. And one of them was a fascination for me every single time he visited, every time he ate a meal with us. This, this characteristic about Grandpa Ackley fascinated me. You see, now everybody look at me. I know I can't compete with children, but you got to hear this. This is setting up what we're going to learn this morning. Grandpa Ackley had a habit, and he chewed his food 28 times before he swallowed. No kidding. 28 times he would chew, and then he swallowed. He swore by it. It was a grand rule of surviving the Great Depression. You eat slower, you fill up quicker. 28 chews, and then swallow. Now, as a five-year-old, this not only helped me practice my counting... But it became great sport among six unruly at times children. All six of us would mouth out the numbers and then wait with bated breath for the swallow. He's one of the reasons that we really, really enjoyed Thanksgiving holidays. You know, I think of him sometimes when I'm really studying and reflecting and meditating on Scripture. Friends, it pays great spiritual rewards to spend less time or to spend time reading less of scripture and chewing on it more deeply mulling it over looking at it at length turning it from different angles chew 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 then swallow it and by what i what i mean by swallow it i mean get it to your heart and the only way it gets to your heart is by the spirit of god now friends listen and he will get it to your heart when you immediately begin applying it chew 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 and swallow start living what god is saying that's how you meditate on scripture it's why i don't preach on large trunk chunks of scripture usually we miss too much on the other hand there were plenty of times us Ackley children left the table while grandpa was still getting started. We don't want that to happen either. So you got to stay where you're at through this sermon series. Be patient. Chew on it. And let's see what the Lord is going to do in this church family. What would we see in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, if we applied grandpa Ackley principle of studying scripture? Let's see what we see. Two things at least. Number one, love each other like we are family. Now, did you hear that? Thank you. Love each other like we are family. 
Have you ever thought of how significant this statement is? I mentioned two weeks ago that there are four Greek words for our English word love. You remember in verse 9, two weeks ago, I, I presented to you the word agape. And then there's philia. And then there's storge. And then there's eros. The last one, eros, which we get erotic love from, had become so distorted by the time in the New Testament that it's never even mentioned anywhere in Scripture. Agape, as we saw in verse 9, two weeks ago, that's God's love. Now listen, remember, it's God's love. Chew on that. It means it's loving somebody regardless of the circumstances. Now, if I can just encourage you, what I would love as a pastor for you to do while I'm preaching is you've got to have the discipline to say, wow, do I do that? Do I really love people regardless of the circumstances, or do I love people who are easy to love? It's regardless of the object. It's never based on feelings. Wow. When I say it's not based on feelings, there's a whole lot of feeling in agape love. It just doesn't need feelings to operate. It's a choice. It's a matter of the will. This is the love of choosing. It comes about from real and genuine desires. That which I really, really want, I learn to love. Even if it's not good. The other two Greek words, philia and storge, are both present in verse 10. That's a clue that we better pay attention. And they're both in what Paul just said, love one another with brotherly affection. In fact, that word love is the combination of those two words. And it never ever occurs anywhere else in Scripture but here, but it was prevalent outside of Scripture. And here's what it means. It means to have a tender affection. Now, men... Ladies, I know you're going to get this. Men, you're going to struggle. You're getting a thick piece of meat. And it may have some grizzle for you, and you might have a hard time swallowing this one. But here's what it means. If we're going to be fully committed believers, then this is, these, these, this is the first obligation that Paul says we have toward one another in the church family. To have a tender affection, particularly family love. See, Paul is calling Christians to have a tender affection toward each other as you do in your own families. It's a strong, binding, powerful love. In fact, Paul underscores this when he goes on and he says, love, and, love one another with brotherly affection. Now, hang in with me. You ready? This is going to be eye-opening for some of you because it might surprise you to discover that brotherly affection comes from one word in the Greek, and ironically enough, that Greek word is Philadelphia. Phileo, or phileo means to have a tender affection. Here Paul is underscoring that again, that tender affection. Adelphos literally means, now get this, from the same womb, from the same woman. We're to have a family-type love, a tender affection for each other, literally because we're coming from the same origin of life, God through His Word, which has birthed 
salvation in us. Look what Peter says in chapter 122. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Friends, that's fully committed living. For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly, or that word means fervently from a pure heart. See, this is so much more than just treating each other decently. Listen to how Paul loved the church at Philippi. He writes, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That word affection, it means intestines or inner organs. In other words, I love you. I yearn for you from my gut, from the very depth of who I am. It just, it turns in me to love you. Deep down yearning, genuine affection toward one another. Friends, why? How can we have this? Why ought we have this? Because listen, the great doctrine of adoption is that God has adopted each of us if we are in Christ. And if he's adopted us, he's brought us into his family. And guess who our brother is? Jesus And guess what our inheritance is? It's all the blessings of Christ, all of what Christ inherits from his father, we inherit from the father. We are brothers and sisters in the family of God. In fact, one famous Roman writer wrote satirically of the early Christians. He wrote, their master has made them believe that they are all brethren. Friends, that's the reputation of the early church. All the people around them that weren't even Christians saw that somehow they were developing a deep, affectionate tenderness toward one another. To mistreat one another, to dislike one another, even in this building, even the one another that belonged to this church, much less all Christians everywhere, to mistreat one another, friends, listen, it's to tarnish our family name. Let me ask you two questions. I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to ask myself a question. Do you have a tender, fervent, yearning, affection for me? Do I have a tender, yearning, fervent, family love affection for you? It's what it means when Paul says, love one another with brotherly affection. If we are to commit ourselves to worshiping and serving God fully, and exclusively, then we will begin to see the body of Christ as never before. You're going to actually start to like people here. We're going to begin to create redemptive community as we have never, ever experienced before because all of a sudden coming to church is not going to seem like a duty. It's not going to seem like a checklist completed. It's going to be a longing and it's going to extend to even perhaps lingering with each other after the church service is done. Perhaps getting together with one another during the week. I want you to hear something that I think is profoundly powerful from God's word. It's in 1 Thessalonians 4.9. 
Here's what Paul says. He says, now concerning brotherly love, there's Philadelphia. There's that word. You have no need for anyone to write you. And Paul's saying, nobody needs to teach you brotherly love. Nobody needs to teach you how to have a tender, yearning affection for one another. Why? Because look, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love, agape, one another. See, friends, if God's pouring his love into your hearts, Romans chapter 5, it cannot help but produce a tender, yearning affection for one another. God himself is our teacher, and he teaches us how to have a brotherly love. And we'll know that we're getting it, that we're receiving it, that we're swallowing it when we love one another with tender affection. Friend, brotherly love is God's own teaching. It's what characterized the early Christian church. Did you know they sold houses for one another? Can you imagine selling your home? Because another family in the church was dispossessed. Their home was seized and taken by the state. That's what they did. How about even further? Some of them laid down their lives for one another. Can you imagine actually dying? I want you to picture this in your mind. Can you imagine choosing to die for somebody else who belongs to the church? Listen to these early accounts of the early Christian church, quote, the belief in the supreme divinity of Jesus who had come from heaven to redeem man was the foundation story of the wonderful love and boundless charity which lived in their midst. And listen to this, it attracted more and ever more weary and heavy laden men and women to join the company of the Christians. You mean the early church didn't have to grow through transfer growth? That's astounding to me. I've never been in a church that is growing because they loved each other so well that people were literally attracted to their mix to have part of it. But friends, it's how the church grew in its inception. One author author in Rome said this, there was an intense reality in the love of the Christians of the first days for one another. I love this. Look what another one writes. They love one another almost before they are acquainted. Wow. That just is amazing. So powerful is this brotherly love, this tender affection that we've got to begin learning to live with one another. So powerful is it that Jesus would say in John 13, by by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Friends, do you love like this? Honestly, let's just be honest. Do you have a tender affection in your heart towards other Christians? And let me ask you this. Is there anybody in this church you don't like? I didn't ask if there's anybody in this church that's difficult Because you're all staring at me at the moment. That's why I don't ask questions like that. Is there anybody in this church that when I ask that question, you know their face came into your picture of your mind? You know what you need to do. 
chew, 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 and swallow. Go see them and love them with tender affection. But Paul goes on in the second half of that verse in verse 10. We're going to keep chewing. He says this, take the initiative and valuing each other. Take the initiative. Well, what does that mean? You know, I found that when I feel affectionate towards someone or even something, they or it becomes valuable to me. You know, there's things I've wanted. And when I want something, I am a research nut. I spend hours and hours researching before I put even $50 down on something. That's just the way I'm wired. But I find that the more I do research, the more unbelievably needy I am of having that thing. That's how it works with people as well. To pour our time and our energy and our love into somebody else makes us want to be around them, makes us want to be part of their lives, for them to be part of our lives. So Paul says this, you ready? Verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now believe me, friends, I know this seems so simple and straightforward. I almost was tempted to just give this a quick paragraph and move on until I began really studying it. Outdo, or as the New American Standard Bible says, give preference is much more interesting than it first appears. It's a verb. It's an action word. It literally means, here it is, you ready? It literally means to go before as a leader, to take a leadership position to lead the way. We're going to find what we're supposed to lead in a moment, but here's what it means to outdo one another. It means to get in front and lead the way. Take the initiative. Show by example. And this is to be done continuously. That's the Greek tense. It's not just once a week, not once a lifetime. It's every opportunity in our lives that comes into our paths. And what we are to take the initiative to do is this. Outdo one another. Take the initiative over one another in showing honor. What's that word honor mean? I bet a lot of you think you know what this word means. Some of you probably do. Let's say you go home today and you look it up in the dictionary. I want to see what the dictionary says this word means. Here's what you're going to read if you look up in Webster's. You ready? It means this. It's a person's worth that brings respect or fame. Now, you've got to get that. This is powerful. A person's worth, which brings respect or fame. It's pretty close to the actual Greek. Because what the Greek says this word means is it's the worth or the value or the merit of somebody or something. Now, I'm going to explain that. It means to honor one, to honor one another means to prize someone or something, to fix a value to another person. It means to pay honor to those who are valuable to you. We honor that which is precious to us. It's to show appreciation. It's to show admiration for an individual. How important is it then that we, all, that we cultivate humility in our hearts? Friends, listen, if you don't have humility that recognizes your need for the contribution of other people in your life, if you don't have humility, you can't honor people. Prideful hearts honor no one but themselves. If we're going to learn to honor one another, the very first step is to cultivate our own humility. Here's what Paul says. 
in Philippians 2, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. You know, I don't know about you, but I find in teaching this principle and in my own life, it's so easy to say this and so difficult to live it. I'll see people whom I know intimately nodding their heads to the call for humility and experience the very opposite of that the next time I see them. And they've seen that for me as well. What's it mean to honor someone? It means I've got to see other people as being valuable contributions to my life. And to outdo one another in showing honor is then take the initiative to speak to them of their value and to live towards them as if they are precious to me. That's what it means to honor one another. You know, many years ago, an accomplished organist was giving a concert. And in those days, somebody had to pump the large bellows backstage to provide air for the pipes. And after each selection... The musician stood up and received the thunderous applause of a delighted audience. But before his final number, he stood up and he said this, I shall now play, and he announced the title. Sitting down at the console, he adjusted his music, he checked the stops, and with feet poised over the pedals and hands over the keys, he began with a mighty chord but the organ remained silent until a voice could be heard from backstage saying, say we. It's how it works, friends. Without God working through me, you're not even worth, it's not worth your time coming to hear a message. Without the men in my life reining me in, when I am getting reckless and prideful and arrogant, it's not worth sitting under my preaching. And without other people coming into your life, you have no hope of refinement. You're blind to your spots in your heart that you can't see. I am as well. That's what people do. They speak to the blind spots. And we need them. They are valuable. They are worthy of our honor. The world honors someone who does something valuable. Christians are to honor others because they are valuable. Did you hear that? If you want honor in the world, you got to do something valuable. But in the church, the Bible says we are valuable because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Therefore, when I'm walking down the street and see Clay Mittman or Paul Harrison or my friends and they speak into my life i am to honor them because they're valuable to me can you imagine a community a church where we are urgently living in a way that takes the initiative to honor one another why wouldn't we live that way to honor others above ourselves assumes the best rather than the worst about another's intentions don't we all do that At times, haven't you been on the receiving end of somebody who's judged your motives? To take the time to check all the facts before making any kind of judgment about a situation. Honoring one another is to be quick to look for the good in others. Be willing to praise them. It's to refuse to to belittle anybody, to slander anybody. 
It's to be concerned with the feelings of another person rather than just yourself. Friends, to take the initiative to honor others is to thank people like our ushers. How many of you have ever sent a Christmas note to the ushers? But in a crowded service, how many of you have been frustrated you couldn't find a seat? There's no job in the church too small to be honored. They're valuable to write cards to those who teach your children the word of God, especially when you can tell them how you're seeing their teaching grabbing fruit in their lives. You know, this past January at our board retreat, we had a time where all of us seating, sit, seated around a table. And I gave them an opportunity to share with one another, one at a time, all around that table, if you'd like, how you have been encouraged by another man around that table to follow Christ's example more closely. Friends, I believe without exception, we were shocked to hear how our lives are impacting other people and we never even knew it and we sat there wondering why do we have to wait for a board retreat to go communicate this? How encouraging it was to hear another man say, you have profoundly impacted my life and here's how you've done it. Someone once wrote, there's no limit to the good that a man could do if he doesn't care who gets the credit. Friends, do you honor people? When's the last time you've honored a brother or a sister in this church? Would you chew and swallow that, immediately apply it? They are valuable and precious to your life. And if you want to cultivate tender affection, Go find a way to communicate it to them. That's how the community of Christ lives. Love each other, Paul says, with deep, fervent, tender affection. Take the initiative in showing others how valuable they are. This is how fully committed believers live in the community of God called the church. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, it seemed so simple Probably many of us have read this so many times, but Lord, to sit down, to slow down and to begin chewing on this and then Lord, to be working towards swallowing it and living it immediately in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be successful. Lord, I pray that the community all around us would hear of the love that this church has for one another. May it be powerful May it resonate, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, right now. There may be somebody in this church that they are resentful for and toward. There may be somebody that when I asked that question, their face came to mind. There may be somebody that they really have avoided. And maybe not even avoided, but haven't taken the opportunity and the work, Lord, to foster and to build and to cultivate a friendship. Lord, I pray, even though we can't be best friends with everyone, Lord, we can be loving with tender affection towards each person in this church. Lord, I pray that we would do that immediately rather than wait. And in your name we pray. Amen.